Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan, joined tonight by no one else. <laughs> it's just me tonight, guys, bringing you the first post-2018 season, pre-2019 season episode. Before I get into the actual substance of the episode, I wanted to just do some housekeeping and just let you know uh, we're not quite ready yet to announce what our game plan is as far as um, where the podcast is going to be, where we're going to be yet. We do have the details worked out, but I'm afraid I can't let you know just yet. Um, but we should have word out to you soon. Um, we've obviously got the feedback uh, as per this episode. So, you know, I hope you enjoy the show tonight. Uh, October 4th, 2018, one of the best sports times um, of the year. You know, you got your football, you got your hockey starting, you got your baseball playoffs. And, you know, hopefully you've still got some room for our fantasy baseball podcast. Tonight's show is basically going to be me just giving some thoughts as to the current landscape of things. Um, You know, as far as looking ahead to next year, where the market is, where I think the market will be, where I think the experts will be. Um, Really sort of a 10,000 foot view of where we're going, where we are, and where we're heading. So without further ado, the first thing I'm going to talk about tonight right, is the starting pitching landscape and how I think the market is going to adjust, if at all. So, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to note the sort of sea change that's gone on in Major League Baseball with respect to how they use their starting pitchers and how they use their bullpens primarily. Um, you know, you need only look at the Rays using the opener strategy to really drive their success in terms of pitching um, for what was a 90-win team. Uh, the fact that the Oakland A's used the opener in the wild card game. The fact that the Milwaukee Brewers used the opener in the opening game of the divisional round. Teams are certainly warming up to this approach. And it's not just taking a relief pitcher and plugging him in as your starting pitcher. Bullpen usage is up. It is up over is up nearly 1000 innings over last year. And that's a 4-year trend that that's continued. Bullpen usage has been going up and up and up and up and up. Um, in fact, it's up nearly 3000 innings bullpen usage since 2014. And it's working. So it's not it's not a a fad that is going to go away anytime soon. So, I mean, with that, you're seeing the opportunity for starts and the opportunity for quote unquote quality starts going away from pitchers. You're seeing their innings eaten into. And as a result of their innings being eaten into, you're not only seeing the wins go away, but you're also seeing not only just the wins and the quality starts, but you're also seeing the volume of their Ks going away. And then you move to other things. I mean, we've seen the 10-day DL, the effect that it has, the desire of teams to keep their starting pitchers that they do use healthy. And not only that, but I mean, we saw the way that the Dodgers used the DL to sort of manipulate the process last year and, and utilize it as a tool to keep their pitchers healthy to give them a rest. Now, I'm not suggesting that teams will do that with their bullpens, but what I think they might do, if they have the ability to do this, and the talent to put it, pull it off is they might utilize option years on a lot of these relief pitchers um, and send them up and send them down 
And that might be a way to keep your bullpen healthy. Now, I mean, not every team is going to have the personnel to do that and do it successfully. But I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, you see teams start to utilize option years and send guys back and forth um, in order to keep their bullpen pull fresh and productive. And then, you know, you look at the general attitude that fantasy owners take towards starting pitching. There always seems to be an emphasis on minimizing risk. And, you know, that's what you want to try to do um, is not have too much risk. And we all know starting pitchers get hurt more often. They're more volatile than hitters are. And it's really even borne itself out in the way the current market is shaping up when you look at the two early mocks, the mocks run by Justin Mason, uh, Fangraphs, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, Friends with Fantasy Benefits. You guys all know him. He's everywhere. Um, But if you look at the pre-draft ADPs and the two early mock ADPs, when it comes to starting pitching specifically, you, you see that they're almost right in line. So both, you know, 2018 and the current two early mocks, there were six starting pitchers selected in the top 30. In 2000, in the pre-draft 2018 process, 18 starting pitchers were taken in the top 70. In the two early mocks, 19 starting pitchers have been taken in the top 70. And then pre-draft, there were 24 starting pitchers in the top 100. Right now, two early mocks, 25 in the top 100. So we're not seeing some great movement towards emphasizing um, getting starting pitching early. We're not seeing starting pitching shoot up the draft boards in any way. And I think it might actually be a mistake. Uh, I think the market might be materially undervaluing uh, the quality arms that are available based upon the current landscape. There is definitely a dearth of quality uh, among the pitchers. I mean, we all know that. We all struggled with it this year. And, and that's in part due to the strategy that the league is embracing. It leads to a lack of quality, trustworthy arms. Uh, and the ones that are that and fit into that category should be going at a premium. And, and right now they're not. And it's not just about lack of quality because the response will be, the, the canned token response will be, oh, well, starting pitchers come out of nowhere every year. I mean, look at Blake Snell, look at Patrick Corbin. And that's a fair point when it comes to those guys. But what I think is going to end up happening is teams are going to start to minimize their exposure to the back ends of their rotations. And if they start to do that, there's just not going to be as much opportunity there for, uh, you know, your, your fringe prospects or your, you know, the, the organizational type guys that sometimes turn into stars uh, to get the opportunities and the innings to break out. You know, unless you're a, a high-end prospect or you've put together high-end production in the minors, I don't know that you're going to get the opportunity to refine your game and to build your skill set as a, as a starting pitcher anymore. And as a result, I just don't think there's going to be as many breakouts. Um, guys that are going to come out of nowhere and put together top 30, top 40 type seasons as there has been in the past. And I don't think the market is is accounting for that. So, I mean, how did I put this into action? Um, you know, I did one of the two early mocks. I accumulated a ton of starting pitching 
you know, I, I took Jacob DeGrom, Jack Flaherty, David Price, Tanaka, Rich Hill, to no one's surprise, Jimmy Nelson, and Tyler Skaggs. And, you know, that top five, which would be DeGrom, Flaherty, Price, Tanaka, and Hill, I feel very good about those guys. I think they are going to be mostly good, provided they're healthy. I would definitely have them inside my top 35 starting pitchers. And then you look at a guy like Nelson, that's another guy that's got that kind of upside. Um, Skaggs, I would say, has like top 40-ish upside. And, you know, I, I really placed an emphasis on that aimed at making sure that I not only had quality at the top, but I had quality in terms of depth. I mean, these are 12-team leagues. If Rich Hill, if I'm viewing Rich Hill as a top 40 guy, he should, in theory, be somebody's third or fourth starter, and he is my fifth. So you can kind of see what my mindset is here. Now, I mean, Rich Hill brings his own issues, but look past the name and look towards the idea of like a top 35 or a top 40 starting pitcher. Um, and you can see what I'm getting at and what I'm trying to do with my roster. And, you know, the ADP bears it out that the market hasn't adjusted to that yet. And this is my theory. I mean, it could be totally wrong. Starting pitching could be fine next year. It could be, you know, back to deep as ever. But I don't think so. I don't think that that's the way the league is trending. And I also think that there's a possibility that the market moves in the other direction, away from what I'm talking about. And that would be the result of sometimes fantasy baseball players, and fantasy players in general, I mean, it's not exclusive to fantasy baseball, but sometimes we tend to um, try to play our game a little bit too close to the real game. And with the league sort of de-emphasizing the importance of starting pitching, I think it is completely possible that, you know, in fantasy drafts next year, particularly in, you know, competitive but not expert-level leagues, that, you know, people start to emphasize bullpens and relief pitchers a little bit more than they should and de-emphasize starting pitching. I mean, even if it stays the way it is, I still see it as a market inefficiency because I think that this is something that you're going to want to have. I think it's something that is going to be at a premium. So, I mean, I would spend a little bit earlier and a little bit more often in accumulating my starting pitching depth at the draft table. Uh, at least that's where my current thought process is. So let me move it to a different topic. Uh, I call this the Byron Buxton division. And of course, you guys know that having, if you have listened to me for any length of time, you know that the second I get on a podcast by myself, I don't have anybody yell at me about bringing up Byron Buxton. So I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> and these are really the helium guys, the guys that had really, really great ends to the year and uh, are probably going to fly up draft boards or to an extent they already have. And, uh, you know, if I didn't call this the Byron Buxton division, I could have called it the Alberto Mondesi division because Mondesi was red hot to end the year and his ADP places him inside the top 75 assets at 73.7. And 
I mean, he went as high as 39th. I believe it was George Bissell that took him there. Um, I think he's going to end up right around pick 50 by the time drafts roll around on average. Now, I'm never going to catch up with the market. I've got Mondesi outside my top 100 currently. Even if I raised him up, you know, if he shot up my board, there's no way I'm going to flip on him and put him into my top 50 uh, type picks. And, you know, it could get even worse than that. You know, I mean, even top 50, you know, 50-ish might be a little light considering the sort of power and speed combo and potential that he's shown in a limited sample. Um, You know, I think back to Trey Turner a couple of years ago. Now, Turner was a uh, higher pedigree prospect. Uh, He also showed better plate skills than Mondesi. So I I don't think that Mondesi's headed for a top five or six ADP when all is said and done like Turner did. And, you know, I mean, I vehemently disagree against that. Um, But I I do think that Mondesi could be headed for a third or a fourth round price tag by the time that drafts roll around. Now, I mean, if I was placing my chips, I'd put him right around 50. But, I mean, in this landscape without speed and where you have a player that can hit for both speed and power and – he had the batting average, even though he probably won't have the batting average. He's going to be a very, very attractive asset for people, uh, especially with shortstop eligibility. He's going to be somebody that I think is going to go probably higher. I think he's already going higher than he should, but he's going to go way up there. So, I mean, I'm not telling you. I mean, you'll, I'll, I'll definitely tell you as the year goes along what I think about him and, and why I think that he's not worth that selection. But if you're starting to think about getting Bondesi right around pick 75 based upon the two early mocks, I think you're going to be a little mistaken because I expect that he's going to rise up um, at least two more rounds by the time March rolls around because the people that have checked out are going to see his stats and they're going to hear the people that like him and they're going to sing his praises, and that's going to lead to even more helium as we go along through this process, I think. <clears throat> so my second guy is uh, David Dahl with an ADP of 147.9. Dahl is sort of an interesting case because he's sort of the opposite of Mondesi and the opposite of the other guy we're going to talk about, who is uh, his teammate, uh, German Marquez. He got really, really hot so late in the process that I don't think that ADP reflects where he would be right at this moment if you started a mock draft right now. Um, You know, I I think that he's risen probably about two rounds just based upon what he's done over the course of 14 days. And that sounds crazy to say, and it is crazy to say, but uh, the world is a crazy place and fantasy baseball is, is, is insane. So... The fact that David Dahl, a, a top prospect with top pedigree, um, has been batting third for the Colorado Rockies and has shown a, a power spike or a power outburst um, and and has been productive at the major league level during his career. I mean, he's got 500 at-bats at this point. I figure whether it's 500 at-bats or 500 plate appearances. But the point is it's a non-zero sample. And he's got 23 homers. He's got 10 steals. So he can steal bags. He's hitting 293 with about an 850 OPS. 
this is a player that's been productive at the major league level. He's got a top pedigree. He's in the best hitters environment in baseball. And as of right now, he's hitting third in a lineup in front of Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story. So this is an asset that people are going to want. And given the fact that he's surged of late, he it's very easy for the snowball to start rolling downhill on him. Now, you know, if you redrafted today, I would say he's probably going right around 115, 120 in terms of ADP. So you're looking at about a two-round rise from where the two-early ADP has him. I suspect, provided he gets through the postseason healthy, that he ends up right around pick 100 at the draft table. And... You know, I, I could see a scenario where it doesn't get quite that high because he's a player that has burned people before. He's a player that has had injury problems in the past and he might, you know, he, he might have scared some people off. Uh, even this year, he's been in and out of the lineup and out of the lineup for long stretches because for whatever reason, the Rockies don't really like to play their young, talented players. Um you know, or, or commit to them. I shouldn't say they don't like to play them. But he's he, he's a player that, based upon the fact that he's had people invest in them and he's burned them before, people might be a little more cautious, even with the appeal of cores and that lineup spot and a power surge and the track record for production and the pedigree. Uh, the injury might be enough to scare people off that the price remains somewhat reasonable, but I'm not counting on it. So German Marquez currently at 117.3, uh, and he's sort of the opposite case of Dahl because you're looking at a substantial sample where he's been excellent. I mean, the entire second half, 12 Ks per nine, a K to walk over six, a ground ball rate closing in on 50%, and an arsenal change that supports the better results that he's experienced. I don't know that there's that much potential helium beyond what we've seen from Marquez. I mean, he's already the 29th pitcher off the board, starting pitcher. I mean, he's going right now behind Robbie Ray and Charlie Morton. Could I see those guys fall behind him? Absolutely. But then you start to get into the territory with a few other young arms that people like. I mean, I'm a big fan of Jamison Tyone. Maybe he doesn't have the um, explosive K rate that Marquez does, but uh, I think he's got a, a bit more um, stable of a track record where I, I can kind of trust what he's done. And he's also undergone the arsenal change and he doesn't pitch in cores. Jose Barrios is another one going in and around that area. Jack Flaherty is another one. So, I mean, I could see... Marquez forming a tier with those guys and jumping Ray, who had a bad year, and Morton, who's getting older and has his own injury problems. So, but can he get that much higher? And at that point, you're looking at right around, somewhere between pick 90 and pick 100. So, it's not a huge leap for Marquez. Um, you know, I think he's already seen a lot of the rise um, in value based upon his results. So that takes us to the prospect effect. 
And what I really want to discuss here is, in theory, the success of Acuna and Soto and how that has affected the um, stock of Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Eloy Jimenez. And, you know, we've seen it in more recent years with these guys. The top prospects, they come up, they rake out of the gate. But, I mean, even if we've had three years of failed prospects, I I think Vlad is a beast onto himself, to be honest. Um, there, There would be no controlling the hype regardless of what had gone on before him. I, I imagine there might be a slight uptick based upon the success of Acuna and Soto and going back a few years, um, you know, Trey Turner out of the gate, going back a few years, uh, Chris Bryan out of the gate, etc. This is a, this is, Vlad is as much of a can't-miss prospect as you're ever going to see. And he has dominated every level he's been at. Uh, currently, he's being drafted at 50.7. So he's just outside of um, round four. And he had a high pick of 23. So taking a look at Vlad and taking a look at that price, and <clears throat> I can only imagine what will happen if he comes out and he has a very good spring training and the Blue Jays, the the word gets out that he's going to start the year or word gets out that he's going to, you know, not play until April 21st or whatever, whatever that date in April is that seems like the whole player's back until. Um, if one of those two scenarios happens, and I suspect it will, Vlad is going to be, you know, early fourth, late third at, at best. You know, if you want Vlad Guerrero Jr. this year, I think you're going to have to go higher than 50th. I think you're looking at 36 to 40 um, by the time March rolls around because the the hype train's not going to stop on this guy. And uh, to be honest with you, I mean, the hype is the hype is warranted. He's totally for real. Uh, the My big concern that I have is whether Toronto messes around and plays games, which it is completely possible that they do, to be honest. Um, you know, there were some skeptics that thought that they wouldn't play games even going into this year. But, you know, I, I, these teams, they, they're worried about their service time. They want to protect themselves. Um, but I, I, think that they would, I think that they would have a really, really hard time um, keeping him down for much longer. But, you know, that's the range. That's the range where there's a lot of short things on the board. I don't think I'll pay that price. I, I, if I was drafting today, uh, you know, I, I, when I did my too early mock, I probably had Vlad somewhere around 65. So, again, I'm, I'm not out of the ballpark like I am with Mondesi, but he's probably not going to be a player I'm going to own. <clears throat> now, Eloy is a little bit different. I'm going at 111.2. The price isn't as crazy, despite the production being... On a comparable level, I mean, I don't think there's any denying that Vlad is the better prospect and generally has been uh, more productive. But Eloy is an elite prospect in his own right. And if you're going to end up taking Vlad in rounds 3, 4, 5, and you're going to be able to get Eloy in round 12 or 11, the better bet to return value, in my opinion, is Eloy. Because there's just 
more room for him to to play and produce and fall. There's just not a lot of places for Vlad to go unless he's, you know, a borderline first-round talent in his very first year in the majors. Um, so the question with Eloy becomes, is he going to rise? And I, and I think so. I, I mean, I could see him in the 90s. I, I could also see him staying relatively flat just because he's sort of the other prospect. You know, there's going to be so much hype and buzz around Vlad and, and what's going to happen with him that Eloy might not get as much publicity as he probably deserves. So it, I think it is possible that he stays outside the top 100. You know, but uh, even there, I, going back to the original point, you know, we saw Soto hit right away. We saw Acuna hit right away. It is possible that, you know, those two guys, you know, their ability and their, their production and the recent success we've seen going back even a few years from these prospects will be enough to push Eloy up the boards and be enough to get his price where maybe it's a little bit beyond where you feel comfortable. So that'll move it to the next segment. How will the players that gave their owners negative value be priced going into next year? So this is repricing the zero producers. <clears throat> and this is in no way an all-inclusive list. But just some names that I thought would be interesting bounce-back candidates and interesting to see where the market is on them. So first up, we've got Corey Seager, uh, an ADP of 65.6. So you're getting a couple of rounds of discount compared to where he was last year. Uh, he was going right around 43, according to last year's ADP. So you're looking at mm, just a little under two rounds. Um, I think some of that's injury discount, and I think some of it also might be that Seager is not as exciting as he was a few years ago when you know he was the brand new shiny toy. Um, you know, I remember it going into last year that there was some thought that Seager was kind of just a guy, not really you know, outstanding enough to warrant a fourth round pick. But, you know, I, I, there's there's not really that much of a discount, to be honest. So maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I fully expected him to be going behind Didi Gregorius. He's not. I thought he would be going behind Segura based upon the fact that Seager doesn't really run and Segura does. But maybe it's the market realizing that, you know, Batting average is kind of a premium as well. I mean, we were talking about starting pitching, and you've heard me about this, that these guys that can hit for, for good power and hit for good average just aren't as common as they once were. And Seager plays a premium position too. I mean, even with the influx of talent at shortstop, it's still um, a position where the bottom drops out quick. So it, it might be some of that as well. So long story short, I think Seager's definitely discounted over last year, but it's probably not as much as you might have wanted or expected. And uh, this is going to be the second appearance of Byron Buxton now. Um, the name you know I can't avoid bringing up because I've already brought him up once. Uh, he's sitting at 163.6. So that's about 115 picks off his ADP from last year. Uh, which, uh, ironically, I couldn't find on the Fangraphs auction calculator. I, I think he was erased from sight. The season was uh, such a loss that he, that Fangraphs decided to not even include him on the 2018 auction calculator. It's like he never existed. <laughs> the top 50 price, he was going back-to-back with Starling Mar- Marte. Yeesh. But truthfully, I mean, you know that I've been a, I've been a Buxton detractor. 
Um, and it's not even I've been a detractor about his talent. I just I think the market has always priced him way more expensive than um, you know his production and his talent. Uh, you know the current state of where he is as a player uh, ever warranted. So I mean, I thought maybe this year after what was a really rough campaign where he was hurt and people paid up for him that he would be lower, but he's right on the fringe of where I would start to think about him right now. And I've been through this enough to know that Byron Buxton's ADP is not going to go anywhere but up. You know, there's going to be reports about uh, he's been working overtime on his swing or the new coaching staff in Minnesota has worked with him extensively and they think they've got it figured out and they're going to hit him lead off. And, you know, we've been through this song and dance before. Oh, he crushes six homers in spring training. And suddenly he's got everything figured out. Um, you know, so I, I think that that kind of stuff is going to happen. And we know that the people that really believe in Byron Buxton are always going to believe in him. Uh, you know, at least they're they're always going. I don't want to say they're always going to believe in him. I want to say that they're always going to be willing to pay more than a neutral person is going to want to pay for Byron Buxton. So, I mean, I fully expect that 165 to end up around 140, 135, 130 by the time drafts occur. And that's just way more than I'm willing to pay. I mean, right now, I probably have them right around 200. So, I mean, 165 is more than I want to pay at the moment. Um, you know, I could squeeze them in there, you know, depending on my team construction. If I needed some upside, sure, I, I'm, I'm willing to take the shot on the upside at 165. But anything above that is just... There, I mean, there are good players on the board between, you know, even at 165. You know, th- th- there's more than shots in the dark on the board at that point. So he's he's a really tough player um, to, to acquire because he requires an investment, despite the fact that he's done not much at, much at all at the professional level with the bat to warn it. So... Yeah, I, I think the market is going to pick up pretty hot and heavy on Buxton, and I was a little disappointed that that ADP wasn't lower to start with because I was. I was interested in getting a share or two this year because I thought, well, all right, so fine. He'll finally be appropriately priced, and maybe maybe this will be the year he breaks out, but it just doesn't look like the market is. I, I shouldn't refer to myself as the ruler of the market, that <laughs> they're not pricing him appropriately. I, I don't think that they're pricing him appropriately. So I, I don't think that I'll have a lot of shares this year, if any, um, and I fully expect it to rise. All right, so the last guy I'm going to talk about tonight is you, Darvish. Um, going off at an ADP of 139.1 in the two early mocks, um, that's nearly 100 picks of decline from last year. He's the 37th starting pitcher off the board in the two early mocks. He was 13th on draft day last year. <laughs> That's a pretty severe punishment, but there's a couple of issues here. I mean, one, he's coming off a year, basically a lost year. It's the second time he's really missed a significant amount of the season with an injury. And the last memories that we've had of Darvish aren't good. He, he was... 
terrible in the 2017 playoffs. He was terrible when he did pitch last year. So you sort of have, you know, it, it's it's sort of a, a two-sided sword. You, you have the bad production and the, and the bad memories of his production, and then you've got the injury factor as well. So I don't know that Darvish is going to rise all that much. Um, you know, you could take him over old reliable Kyle Hendricks. I think the market is usually undervalues what Kyle Hendricks does. Uh, and, you know, if you really wanted the upside over the safety, I, I could see doing that. But it doesn't take, you know, more than 15 picks to get to Masahiro Tanaka. Are you going to put him in over Tanaka? Uh, you know, and I'm not even the biggest Tanaka guy. I, I mean, I could see myself doing it. But I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of the market generally. I, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that people are going to want Tanaka over Darvish. And, you know, Tanaka is kind of appropriately priced, I think, this year. I don't think that there's really much of a problem with where he's going. He's going in right around SP33, uh, I want to say, approximately. You know, that's, that's not a bad price. That's about where I would rank him. So I, I, I think it's going to be tough for Darvish to really rise up draft boards. Now, I mean, if he comes out and it's spring training and he's throwing 97 and, you know, the control looks like it's back and the command looks like it's back, yeah, maybe. Maybe he's one of those guys that gets a big boost from, you know, looking good and passing the eye test. But we don't know if that's going to happen. And we're not going to know if that's going to happen until, you know, middle of March. And, you know, a lot of times even that can only do so much for a player's um, stock at that point. So I, I do think that Darvish is going to be a player that's probably going to be undervalued at the draft table. You've got to have the stomach for it. Um, and it is a risky pick. I, I, I will acknowledge that between the health and the production. Uh, you know, he might have just lost it. There's a lot of innings on that arm. But, you know, it, it's, again, it goes back to what I was saying at the top of the show. And, uh, you know, we're sort of doing a cyclical kind of thing and going back to the start. But Darvish is a pitcher that offers, you know, pretty elite upside. Uh, you know, you're talking like a top 20 starting pitcher if he's healthy uh, with a good defense behind him. So... You know, you, you, you can't buy that kind of upside everywhere. And you can't really buy it anywhere in today's landscape. So if he's your fourth, fifth starter, I would feel better with him as a five. But if he's if he's there, you know, you're you're throwing another, you know, dart at the board and, and there's a chance that you hit a bullseye. And the price is not prohibitive. Unlike when I'm looking at, you know, where I think Buxton will be come March. Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for me. We've done almost an hour. I appreciate you guys checking us out, uh, you know, taking time away from whatever it is you're watching. If it's playoff baseball or if it's football or if it's hockey, um, you know, and feel free to hit us up on Twitter. You can find me at Twitter on Twitter at PatrickFWO. Uh, my co-host, Joe Saunders, at JoeFWL, and Nick Ligatino at NickFWL. And keep your eyes out. We should have an announcement for you guys on 
where we're going to be, what we're going to be doing going forward. Um, shortly, the podcast will go on, and you know we don't have a set schedule, but we're looking at trying to pump one out every couple of weeks. And I may pump out a couple of these solo ones on off weeks every now and again. So if you like this episode, there'll be more coming. If there's not, I'll always denote when it's just me and you guys can skip it. <laughs> All right. Thanks a bunch for listening.